title for the message today is Until Christ is formed in you. This is talking about an ongoing process that God the Father is doing within us. Let's commence this message by turning to Philippians, the third chapter, and begin reading in verse 1. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Well, there we go again. And another place he says, rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. And this is something that God is pleased with. This is something that God wants us to do. Rejoice in his presence, to thank him, to praise him for everything he does for us every day, right down to the very breath of life. Every breath that we take is a blessing from God because that represents life. But not life eternal, that's something that we are striving for, and that is something we are seeking after. Indeed, he said, for me to write the same thing to you is not troublesome, but for you it is safe. Why? Well, because the churches, and primarily those that Paul was pastoring in the Gentile areas and regions of Asia Minor, and in Europe, he said, beware of dogs. And here he's referring to not physical animals, but he's referring to human beings, religious zealots, Judaizers, who were troubling the brethren, trying to bring them under the old covenant practices, which have been abolished or which were finally uh, obliterated or done away with, with the temple when that came down. So some of those practices did continue. Once the temple was demolished, they could no longer practice their sacrifices and other religious ceremonies because the new covenant had supplanted and had replaced the old covenant. But the Jews that he's talking about here, these dogs had not accepted the gospel of Christ. They rejected him. They rejected his way. They rejected his message. So he said, beware of evil workers. So these dogs, he also classifies them as evil workers. And then he identifies them, beware of the circumcision, or correction, the concision, which is a play on words with the circumcision of the flesh rather than the circumcision of the heart, which God even called the ancient people of Israel to. And he said, he talked to them and told them that you have uncircumcised hearts. And of course, the new covenant is one where we are circumcised by the heart. And that's another message, which is a very interesting one indeed. For we are the circumcision. Now he's talking about spiritual circumcision, the circumcision of the heart, which comes down to the subjects of repentance. It comes down to the subject of baptism and the receiving by the laying on of hands following baptism. For we, verse 3, are the circumcision who serve God. Notice this next phrase. In the spirit. So that's the difference of serving, trying to serve God as the Jewish peoples or the Jewish infiltrators were trying to teach the Galatians and the other Gentile churches 
rather than the circumcision of the heart. Spiritual circumcision contra the physical circumcision. Physical circumcision was no longer necessary, no longer required under the new covenant, only circumcision of the heart, which is the spiritual circumcision. But notice what he goes on to say, and rejoice in Christ. Here's that rejoice again. So he's encouraging all brethren, even us today, that we need to rejoice in Christ Jesus. And referring back to this matter of physical circumcision being put upon the Gentiles, do not trust in the flesh. All right. Let's turn now to John, the sixth chapter. Here we have one absolutely, well, we could say mind-blowing text, but it's absolutely powerful and one that we can perhaps all remember to learn by heart. John 6 and verse 63. Here Jesus is talking, and we're breaking into his conversation with his disciples. And I just want to read this one verse. You can read the context you know, before and after to get the context of this. But he'd said some things that had offended some of his followers. And he asked them the question, uh, verse 61. But Jesus, knowing that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, does this offend you? He's talking about himself being the bread of life and how that they were to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood, which is another subject, but very important coming up to the Passover season. Verse 63. Let's inscribe this. Let's write this. Let's ask God to inscribe it in our minds and in our hearts. It is the spirit that gives life. So we're talking here about Christ being for, for it, Christ being formed in you or in us. It is the spirit that gives life. So it's the spirit that is going to be forming and that, in fact, is for those who have been baptized and those who have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is doing that work, that inner working within us that Paul mentioned so many times. The flesh, and Jesus is said, the flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing. We need the flesh to work and to live in this human life. But when it comes down to immortality, when it comes down to the eternal life, the flesh indeed profits nothing. As Jesus said, it is the spirit that gives life. Then he continues, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they our life. Well, what are the words that Jesus spoke to us and Jesus speaks to us today? Well, they're contained in the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament. From Genesis, the first chapter to the very last verse of Revelation. They are all the words that proceeded from the mouth of God as he either spoke them or gave them to his prophets or apostles to speak them and then to record them and to write them. And that's profitable for us today. 
And this is the truth. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit. Note that. The words are spirit. They're not flesh. The written word of God is spirit, not flesh. And what's more, Jesus said, they are life. Not only life now, while we are living in the flesh, but it's talking about eternal life, immortal life, living into the ages of eternity. Quite a powerful, quite an instructive verse for us to keep in mind. All right, let's turn now to that verse in Galatians that we've taken the title for today. Galatians, the fourth chapter. Now, problem, while we're turning there, we can mention that Paul was frustrated by the church and by the brethren in Galatian. In fact, to the very point where he says in verse 11, because they've been listening to these false teachers, these interlopers that were visiting and troubling the church, you know, like dogs, barking away at your heels, trying to snap at your heels, trying to bite the flesh on your legs. He said, I'm afraid for you, least somehow I have labored among you in vain. You know, preaching the gospel, preaching the word of God, bringing them to a knowledge of the life and teachings of Jesus Christ, bringing them to spiritual maturity so that they can grow up in the grace and the knowledge of God, learning to know and have a personal relationship with God the Father and Jesus Christ. And yet here he says, in spite of all his work, he said, I'm afraid for you. At least somehow I have labored among you in vain. But let's drop now, now to the 19th verse where he says, my little children, my little children, they were like little children. They had not yet fully grown up and matured, of which he desired, as the rest of the verse goes on to say, for whom I am laboring in pain. And any true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be doing this. He's going to be spending his life laboring in pain. Why? What for? Until Christ has been formed in you. Now, we know that Christ was fully formed in the flesh, as it says in Hebrews, but for us, we will accomplish a certain amount of Christ being formed in us, perhaps some more than others. But one thing for sure, that because Christ is working within us, there will be a level and degree of the mind of Christ within us, some die early, some die late. But God is the one. He knows the heart. He knows the intent of the heart. And he'll make his judgment based on each one individually. He will not be making judgment on you based on somebody else within his body. He does it on an individual basis, having known each one personally by his spirit that is within us. But Paul here as an elder, as an apostle, was laboring. 
until Christ was fully, well, not fully formed in them, the fully formed for us uh, personal point here, I believe that will take place in the first resurrection. When Christ, we hear Christ's voice, we're raised from the grave, then we will be perfect. Then he will be fully formed in us because it says in John's epistle, we're going to see Christ because we are going to be looking. We will look exactly as he looks. First John 3, I believe you can read that. All right, let's turn now to Philippians, the second chapter, because here we find another statement that is very interesting about the mind of Christ and about Christ being formed within us. And we know this one so well, like all the scriptures. Let this mind be in you, Paul writes to the Philippians. Let this mind, that is the mind of Jesus Christ, we have to let it. How do we let it? Well, we study the word of God, which is the mind of Christ and the mind of the Father. And we pray to the Father through Christ to get to know him and Christ more fully. And as we do that, and as we study the word, and as we obey the word, as we walk in the word, we're actually letting the mind of Christ dwell within us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let's read a little bit about that mind now. And here's how Christ can be formed within us. But he, Jesus, emptied himself. That is, as God, he emptied himself of his power, of his glory, and became a man. Flesh, bone, blood. Yes, he had the Holy Spirit from birth but he was fully man, fully man like you and me. It had to be that way, otherwise we would not have a savior. Most important point, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but he emptied himself and was made in the likeness of men. Is that an act of humility? Is that, that not an act of absolute Total, utter humility to take on human flesh. In fact, he said that he had no confidence. He didn't trust in the flesh. He had no confidence in the flesh, like Paul, because his trust and faith was totally in God. And being found in the manner of man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And that's the kind of life that God is wanting to build into us. There's a pattern for that. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him, as we read in verse 9, bestowed upon him a name above every other name. And so we have, because of the deeds of Christ and the Father, we have access to the same very goal. All right, let's have a look at Colossians 3.16 just quickly. Colossians 3 and verse 16, just another way of how Christ is being fully formed within us. And this has to do with what we do in regard to the word of God and to the words of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom 
Colossians 3, verse 16, let the word of Christ, where's the word of Christ? In the complete Bible, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord and in everything. Remember, until Christ is formed within us. And in everything, whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. No other name. Doing all in the name of Jesus, which means that we're going to be doing those things that are pleasing in the eyes and in the sight of God. Giving thanks to God and the Father by him. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 want to pay particular attention to one particular statement here, which is critical for us as the children of God. Second Corinthians, the 10th chapter, as we work towards having Christ form his character, his mind, his thinking, his spirit, spirit of the Father within us. Here's the challenge. This is a daily challenge. This is a regular challenge. Paul is being criticized and condemned by some of the brethren who had been influenced by infiltrators into the church and is showing how that we can handle these problems. In 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, he said, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And we can see some of those weapons, which is the armory God has given to us, in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And we have those weapons of defense, and we have one major weapon of offense, and that's the word of God. And that's the word that Jesus gave to us, because Jesus Christ is the word of God. Jesus himself used the word of God as a weapon, as we read in Matthew and Luke in the fourth chapters. When Satan challenged him, when Satan was throwing his fiery darts at him, Jesus used the shield of faith, the faith that he had towards his father, so the fiery darts of Satan did not have the slightest impact, impression, or influence in his life. But he used the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, and he challenged Satan. And he said, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that's our calling, brethren. That's our challenge, to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that is one of the major ways that Christ will be constantly, day by day, being formed within us. The other we know, of course, is by prayer as we have that personal, intimate contact with the Father through Christ, we get to know him. Remember what John 17 and verse 3, where Jesus was praying to the Father, he said, Father, John 17 and verse 3, let's just read that. John 17 and verse 3, for this is eternal life. We want to know what eternal life is. This is what eternal life is that they, that's you and me, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. So it's that personally knowing Jesus and the Father. We know them through prayer. We know them through having them inscribe their love and their words into our hearts and into our minds by the finger of God. He writes them in our hearts as we read them, as we obey them, as we keep them, as we maintain that contact. And day by day, we're getting to know the Father and Jesus Christ in the Spirit, not in the flesh. The flesh profits nothing. It's the Spirit that gives life. And the Spirit is in the words and in the truth of God. Coming back to 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, it says, here are the things, challenges. What we have to do is with the weapons that God has given to us is we have to overthrow strongholds. So we search our lives. We're never satisfied that there are no strongholds in our lives. We're looking for them. We don't want anything in there that's going to be a blockage between our relationship, between us and God the Father and Jesus Christ. Further than that, casting down vain imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity this is the crux. This is our life. This is our life's work, in part, along with the rest of the words that God gives us that he wants us to follow. Bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. And that's talking about the overthrowing of strongholds. That's talking about the casting down of imaginations. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. All those things God has called us to bring into captivity. Every thought into the obedience of Christ. Whereas, um, we need to think about that. We need to spend time before God's throne asking him to help us to know that we are, in fact, receiving his help and his power and his strength and bringing every thought into the captivity of Christ. We need to remember and recall those words of 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Learn them off by heart. Even go back to them day by day and recite them. Day by day, take them before the throne of God and ask for his help, and he will help you. And as you pray to him, as you read the word, you're going to find that day by day, it becomes a little easier. Will you have any challenges? Will you be able to completely bring every thought into the captivity of Christ? That's up to us. But what we must be doing is fighting for that. Let's close by turning to Philippians, the third chapter, and let's see how Paul approached this whole situation. Very powerful chapter here in Philippians, the third chapter. Verse four, he says, though I might also have reason to trust in the flesh. Remember Jesus said, John 6, 63, the flesh profits nothing. So Paul says, though I might have reason to trust in the flesh, if any other, if any other thinks he has cause to trust in the flesh, he said, I've got more than you. Now, if you want to play games, 
Yeah, Paul's saying that. And he goes on to show, circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law of the race of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, of the Hebrew of Hebrews, with respect to the law, a Pharisee, with respect to zeal, persecuting the church, with respect to, of, to righteousness, that is in the law, blameless. Can any of us claim that? I doubt it. Yet the things that were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But then truly, everything that was advantage to me, what's an advantage to you? What, what do you count as an advantage? Can, can you say, can I say the same things that Paul says here? But then truly I count all things to be lost. Why? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, to know Christ and him crucified, which was the center of his preaching, the center of his gospel. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and we know that Paul did, more so than any one of us, and count them as dung. That, why? That I may gain Christ until Christ, as he said to the Galatians, is formed in you and be found in him, having my, not having my own righteousness, which is derived from the law, which is of the flesh, but that righteousness, which is by the faith of Christ, the righteousness of God, that is based in faith, and that is of the Spirit. That I may know him, and that I may know the power of his resurrection, and that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If, if, by any means, Christ may be formed within me, I guess is what he's saying. I may attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Now notice the next verse. He says, not as though I have already received. None of us can say we've already received. We've already made it. We're on the path. We're in the walk. We're on the road towards the kingdom of God. And that's a day-by-day -day work. It's a day-by-day -day struggle. It's a day-by-day time to rejoice that God has called us and given us this opportunity for immortality, to be in the kingdom of God. Not as though I have already received or have been perfected, but I am striving so that I may also lay hold on that for which I was also laid hold on by Jesus Christ. And that was to do the work of God, and that was to be in his kingdom. Let's close again by going back to John, the sixth chapter, and verse 63. And let's ask God to inscribe this into our hearts and into our minds. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life.